0: This program is brought to you by Resonance 104.4 FM. If you like what you hear and want to support our work, please make a donation at fundraiser.resonance.fm.
1: You're listening to Panel Borders on Resonance 104.4 FM and DAB in London. I'm Alex Fitch, and this is Resonance's monthly show about comics, graphic novels, and sequential art. In today's show, which is the second of two programs, looking at anthropomorphic comics, which is to say titles that feature animals as their main characters who often take on human characteristics, I'm talking to a pair of comic book creators about their work. In the second half of the show, I'm talking to veteran cartoonist Stan Sakai about his long-running comic Yosagio Jimbo, which chronicles the adventures of a samurai rabbit. However in the first half I'm talking to Leomi Sadler about her new collection Tummy Bugs which collects a number of old strips plus new comics telling the tales of insects, gargoyles, bacteria and other creatures battling against adversity in this artist's iconic style which brings in elements of fine art such as painting and collage to the comic book page. So we're talking today about this collection, Tummy Bugs, that's just about to come out from um, Breakdown Press. And I guess it's kind of uh, a greatest hit of your work over the last 10 years that's been organised thematically. How did the kind of curating of this collection come about?
0: Okay, so originally when they wanted to do like a big collection... I was like, "There's too much stuff. I've made too much stuff. We can't mm. do that." Um, so I thought, uh, "How can I do a first book?" Um, what things have been in anthologies that are out of print? And so I took um, in Kramer's Ergot. Do you know Kramer's Ergot? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So in Kramer's Ergot Eight, I had quite like a nice little chunk, and. That was kind of the starting point. And um, then I remembered a comic that was in the anthology called Decadence, which oh. was about these kind of aliens on on a planet. It was kind of and there was some crossover between the Kramersover stuff and the, the, that alien stuff. <laughs> and that was kind of like the starting point and then I just kind of looked through my archive and found things that kind of vibrated in the right way mm. and like I knew definitely knew what I shouldn't put in it and the, the more I kind of picked up things and thought no no that's wrong that's wrong that's wrong that's wrong it kind of helped me realize like what would be the correct thing to use and it turned out to be quite like a cute book Mm. Like, it's quite, it's, like, the cutest thing I think I've ever done. <laughs> <laughs> and probably, like, the nicest and most palatable. So it's quite a good sort of thing to kind of trick people into getting into my work. Mm. Because I think I think it's quite, like, appealing. And I, can, I think it's, like, it's very colorful. It's very juicy. It's, like, quite sort of easy to pick it up and see what's going on. So mm. I think it's like quite a good like way of tricking people into getting into my work. So <laughs> <laughs> does, that, does that make sense?
1: Yeah, no, very much so. Um, I mean, when you say that you were deciding as much what to leave out as what to put in, was that in the sense that you're thinking when you're putting things aside, these pieces of work will work better together in a different anthology that will be collected under a different theme?
0: Kind of, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. So I, as I was like, I've got stuff that's definitely like science fiction
2: Mm.
0: and that definitely has to go in the science fiction book in the future. (laughs) And I've got, I've got like, I think the next one, I'm more like, I was thinking about all of them actually, as I was doing this one, I was like, oh, this could be a book. This could be a book. This could be a book. Um, So I started kind of organizing things into their own folders. And one of the books is going to be kind of like office jokes and like, Mm. Jokes about you know being in a job and like all that kind of stuff, but then also I really like kind of corporate language, Mm. so I've got quite a lot of drawings and artwork also around that stuff. So that that that's like one book. I've got a book which is quite like I don't know, (laughs) like like there's one that's going to be very similar to talking books, but it's mostly going to be centered around kind of like big round. Lumps. (laughs) (laughs) lumps <laughs> <laughs> um, and I kind of want to reprint like a really early comic that I did with, which was about this kind of ball that these little guys were kind of pushing around and like antagonizing mm. and so that will be kind of the, um, the, the glue that holds that book together ah. um, so yeah Okay. I also want to make some new comics because mm. I really have to be forced into making new (laughs) comics. I find they're really difficult to do. So, like, if I kind of make a book that's got gaps in it, then that'll force me to fill those gaps with, like, new stuff. Um, So this is quite a good way of kind of forcing myself to do things, too. Yeah.
1: Well, I guess, you know, trying to um, find uh, kind of like motifs and themes that run throughout Tummy Bugs... There's a lot of sort of creatures and characters in it that aren't necessarily uh, human, they, but they then sometimes interact with humans. So it seems that it's kind of concerned with uh, the kind of unusual forces that we encounter in biological processes, the kind of creatures that you might find in the natural world, all of those sort of uh, issues rubbing against each other.
0: Um, I think it's more kind of accidental that there's humans in it like Mm. there's no i don't i don't think i've really um assigned like a hierarchy or 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 anything like that and that you would find in in nature like i think the humans are treated in the exact same way as the other entities are Mm. Um, and almost yeah it's it's weird i I hadn't thought of them as human beings. <laughs> <laughs>
2: um,
0: and I guess I'm the... I don't know, the way they behave and stuff, oh, I don't know.
1: <laughs> I, I guess I guess what I'm getting at is that some of the characters seem human only because they're juxtaposed with creatures that are more insect-like. And that kind of suggests some sort of like gardener and they're their gardening in a way. <laughs> right, 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 yeah.
0: I guess there are some humans, yeah. there's There's some... goblins there's like a cow (laughs) there's bipeds there's like snails um Mm. oh there's like a farmer character that's 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 the like I guess he's quite human but he's green Mm. um yeah I I wondered if you were going to talk to me about like um like animal comics because of the the one you did with Richard Short
1: the other Mm. week well I mean you know certainly uh you know you've got some Brilliant uh, kind of day glow pages uh, with cats uh, dancing and flying and uh, jumping together. So yeah. I'm assuming that kind of anthropomorphic comics are at least uh, one of your interests.
0: Oh, yeah, definitely. I, and they're just really good to draw. Like, I think it's just come very naturally to draw little characters and, like, like that's the thing that I, when I'm doodling or just kind of unconsciously doing stuff. The things that that just happen are like, or that the most fun to draw are like non-human things. There's mm-hmm. there's more there's more room for design, and there's I think there's more room for I don't know. I guess that's just like what I'm interested in. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that um that that comic with the cats is actually mm. I made it to kind of like celebrate a video game that yeah. some people I collab- collaborate with. That made and that, that it, it's like a video game called The Scratching Post mm. which is about this kind of like the Babel's Tower this this mm. huge 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 uh, gigantic cat scratching post <laughs> um, and it's like the video game is about the cats that like build it and scratch it so they asked me to make a little comic to kind of promote that so that's what that yeah. comic is that's nice. why they're, they're cats but it was it was quite nice because I think the cats that they used were based on top cats you know mm. the cartoon top cat which i absolutely love hmm. and i mean i love the design of those cats so much but i wouldn't feel permitted to just kind of like use that the design in my own work so because these guys already appropriated them i could then kind of like appropriate their version into mm. my comics so, so that was quite a nice little like way of deciding how to design stuff.
1: Mm. You've been making comics for a number of years. Um and, you know, it seems in particular over the last sort of 10, 20 years, reproduction has become so much better when it comes to kind of both small press comics and sort of like arty comics. Because you're someone who works in collage, who works in paint, and it seems now, or at least you know, recently there's the technology has existed that you can really accurately reproduce any kind of mark-making. You know, has that kind of empowered you as an artist as you've been making comics over the years? Or do you think more about the creation of the comic and don't worry so much when it comes to the reproduction?
0: That's a good question, because that relates, like, more to, I guess, like, my drawing practice. Mm.
2: Um,
0: um, Well, I guess, like, when I started making comics, I... Was just using a laser printer or a photocopier to, to reproduce them, mm. and I still have that mindset. Even though like things that I do can be like printed in quite like a lush, gorgeous, you know, way, um, I don't kind of trust that that will always be available to me. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm always going to be able to like photocopy and laser print stuff. Like, whatever you know, however broke I become, I'm all like that's like so cheap. So that's that's my just like go to method of reproduction, and I think it's more, and that that informs how I make stuff. Mm. So the the I don't know how to put it into words. Like everything I make has to be able to fit on a scanner, and I like to like i like the flattening effect of the scanner mm. there's a book that i'm working on that's kind of like goes against this but but for the last like 10 15 years however long i've kind of i've always flattened everything out i i even though they like the there's like texture that's visible it's like squashed
2: mm.
0: and i guess like adjusting in contrast and things like that i've got like strong feelings about this but they're quite hard to like say basically mm. the 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 collaging and everything that I use to put my comics together, the comic pages themselves are like a, a, a an absolute mess, and I see the the comic book itself is like the finished artwork that's like the perfect form, um, and I don't really have much interest in kind of like showing the original. Okay. Do you know? Like, I wouldn't, because I I ga- engage with like exhibiting and and like putting things on walls and stuff
2: Mm.
0: and my comic pages as objects don't work then that like that's not like i'm quite happy to just put them in a box and that for them to never be seen again but the thing that i would like if someone was like oh let me see your your archive or whatever then the printed book would be the final Mm. piece like making like a video or something or a film like all the little scraps Mm. aren't 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 the, aren't the object like the actual book itself is like the biggest thing
2: mm.
0: and um yeah I I've not really felt kind of like pro like the, the progress of technology affect my work at all mm. um and I yeah I think I, that that thing of like not trusting <laughs> not trusting that people will be interested in it or like that that people want to publish it um, like making sure I can always print it myself mm. if necessary um, I think I'll probably always have that attitude because um, yeah I don't know and
1: uh, yeah I mean well it, I mean it's it's interesting though because I guess your work occupies that kind of overlap between the sort of small press zine uh, scene and then sort of art comics that are also appreciated by people who are into graphic design who are into fine art and it's interesting that something that's considered either very lo-fi or somehow entering the fine art world has this kind of slippage between you know these two kinds of um audiences
0: yeah um I can't really say much about like people's <laughs>
2: taste
0: <laughs> <laughs> um I mean I don't place any any like any I don't think anything's higher than another thing. Mm. i i think it's more like i don't think byproducts right word my i'm not trying to like be high or low Mm. or anything it's all just like all the same uh
1: it's all even to me Mm. and so in a way the audience sort of came to you then
0: yeah i guess so i think the thing about um relating it to like fine art and stuff i think actually there's more more of an appetite within the art world for kind of like low grade stuff mm. than there is in like publishing. You know, you can have like the most degraded piece of paper on a wall <laughs> and it's completely normal in like art. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Or like a very badly printed image or whatever. Actually like that like uh I don't what's the word? Um like the kind guess- of like I guess the artwork that I'm thinking of doesn't really... Uh, um, oh my God, I can't think.
1: Well, I guess it's like an appreciation of the materiality of what you're doing rather than, you know, something having to adhere to some sort of uh, special finish in order to say this is now a comic or this is a graphic novel.
0: Yeah, it's almost like, there's like there's a lot of like understanding of like, Things being artifacts of like uh, a moment, so like you know, a piece of a, a piece of to try to that's like the leftovers of like an action mm. is like just as valuable as like a sculpture that's been kind of like worked on, like like the effort that goes into making like a finished product or a finished object there's no kind of like prioritizing of like oh this is more valuable than this like that, that everything is kind of I like that that kind of leveling out of stuff mm. um yeah and I, I think like um being kind of engaged with like performance art and um uh just like all kinds of like contemporary art
2: mm.
0: it just kind of makes you aware of like the 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 different forms that like a finished object can take like or like you can make one piece of paper and say like oh this is my this is important or you can make like a hundred books and it can be equally important so
1: mm. yeah reading your strips um I may be making uh, a dreadful assumption um I get the feeling that some of them have come from kind of a story that you've thought this is a story I want to illustrate while other strips seem to come from you playing with colours and materials and then thinking, actually, how can I turn this into a story? Um, OK, let me <laughs> just have a little look and try and guess what you, which ones might give that
0: impression.
2: <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I guess...
0: mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's a really good funny thing to say because it's just a miracle that anything gets finished. Mm. Um. I don't know how I managed to kind of like complete a comic page. <laughs> I mean, there's definitely, there are, I did sneak in a couple of things into the book that probably aren't quite stories or aren't, they just look like comic pages. Do you know yeah. what I mean? It's more of like a drawing of a comic page than an actual kind of functioning comic. Mm. Um, there's, yeah, there's a couple of them in there. I can, I'm just looking at it now and I can definitely see like, Oh, I've just put a sequence of images in the, in the <laughs> and hopefully people kind of like accept that as like something that's a comic. The I I I I used to really like struggle with the idea of being a storyteller. Like cause my brother Steph makes the most intricate, dense, imaginative, like wild story comics. His his story his the comics he makes are like 30 pages long and there's like they're epic, they could be like a TV series, like there's so much ideas and and he's like a storyteller and he has like stories that mm. he has to tell. And I used to like kill myself over it because I was like, how can I do that stuff? Like how, and every time I tried to do that, the things that would come out would be so <laughs> 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 like just terrible, like they weren't, they were like, it was like someone performing the the idea of a storyteller
2: hmm.
0: rather than rather than someone with an actual story that to tell and
2: oh. um, which,
0: I think it was I must have like been reading about some cartoonist or something and I and I was like I found out like I'm not a storyteller I'm a cartoonist like I like to depict things happening movement hmm. people saying stuff I like to kind of like use the like use cartooning language. Um I think I'm more of a, a car- cartoonist. So I, I I I write cartoons, I write comics, I don't write stories. Mm-hmm. Um so I la- and the this the if there's like story happening, it's because like I've had some momentum whilst I've been doing it. Do you know what I mean? And like mm-hmm. if something's quite short, it's probably because I just like had like a very brief idea and tried to execute it and then it then I quickly ran out of like energy (laughs) (laughs) um yeah I mean I mean there have been specific stories I've done when I've had material to work from like I did a comic um which I I was watching a nature documentary and I liked the way that the narrator kind of like spoke and I liked the way that everything was described
2: mm. and I
0: transcribed it onto like lots of small bits of paper like one line per piece of paper mm. and then I just like uh, stole that as like the <laughs> as a, and then I made that into a comic and then I did a another comic which was I just took a job application form that I'd filled in <laughs> and used that as a, a script for a comic so, it's, so those It's like these kind of like, yeah, I have to really, really force like a story to come. Um, Mm And most of the time, I just kind of like, like there's a a comic I did in Tummy Bugs. And this Mm -hmm. is actually like the, the only one of two like new comics that I made specifically for the book. There's one where there's like a little guy and he's being kind of like, These little parasite creatures are kind of crawling on him Mm. and comforting him and then kind of encourage him to just kind of curl up into a ball and disappear.
2: Mm.
0: And um, that one was... I'm just trying to remember, like, how did I do that one? Did I think of a story? I had had an image in my mind of, like, uh, a character who is going to have little people crawling all over him Mm. Um, and the kind of yeah the image of someone kind of swamped by small creatures was like that's where I wanted to get to so I was like okay I'm going to draw a character walking along and then it's going to encounter these little parasite people and then it's going to be covered in them and hopefully by that point whilst i'm drawing it i'll have an idea of like how it's going to (laughs)
1: resolve itself do you know what i mean yeah i mean when you're doing a strip like that then i mean it's four pages um each page has six panels on it did you kind of partially script in advance or did you kind of write the story as you were drawing it as you were going along I think I so I tend to draw like small
0: like post note post notes or square pieces of paper Mm. Um, and I try I don't really use a pencil I try to kind of like go straight into the finished thing and um, kind of make it up as I go along and then when it seems to be done I'll arrange it into like pages mm. and then i can then i can see like oh this 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 little instant ha instance happens too quickly or like the the emotional payoff or 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 the kind of response like the way the characters are interacting is not quite right here i'll just add some more drawings in do you know what i mean mm. so so i kind of like they're not it's not written as pages it's just written as panel 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 a million panels <laughs> Or, and then organize the panels and then kind of edit it and see if anything's missing or, mm. or if anything needs fixing. Um, I found that that's like my most kind of common way of doing
2: stuff.
0: Mm. Um, but I mean, I don't know if this is interesting, like last summer I found a new way of doing comics that I never did before. <laughs> <laughs> and it was... Um, I took like pages that I'd kind of penciled out like a very, very long time ago. And I'd abandoned them because they just weren't interesting enough. Um, So I had all these kind of like comic drafts that weren't very good, but I kept them. (laughs) And um, I'd drawn this like really funny, this character that made me laugh. And I like whenever whenever I started to draw it, I kept this drawing to the side because it kept making me laugh every time I looked at it and i gave it a name which i never normally do and i gave this character the name mr the birthday cake and just that alone it was it, it kind of looks like a bootleg version of um fred flintstone mm. and he had this like big horrible face this very awkward looking body and everything about him made me laugh so i was like i want to do something with this guy but i don't know he kind of looks like a bit of an ass arse- like i mean most of my characters treat each other badly but i was like this this guy needs to be put into a comic somehow, and I have no stories to tell, have no ideas for comics. What what have I got that I can just use? So I found these like really really rubbish abandoned comics that I that I'd never finished. I just started replacing all the characters in the comic with this guy, Mr Birthday Cake, and like I erased all the speech bubbles and started kind of like forcing this thing into like and I told myself okay this doesn't have to function as a comic this is going to just be this is a trick this is like a drawing of a comic like this is just going to be a drawing
2: Mm.
0: and you know people might look at it they're like oh my god this is a comic I'm going to read this but actually it doesn't matter it just has to look like do you know what I mean it has to have a grid Mm. it has to have a sequence of images it has to have like a a character like moving from scene to scene Mm. and um I did a few pages of that and and it started to come to life and I was like okay so there's there's this world where like everybody has the same face and this guy seems to these characters seem to kind of be interested in eating and they seem to be interested in like picking up things and moving them around and -hmm. because of that like those like very simple actions and that that the, it was very collagey as well I was like taking oh this panel from over here and sticking it here and I was just trying to fill up space <laughs> and and but through doing that it kind of really loosened me up and I, and I started the character kind of started to tell its own story mm. and a sequence of these they started to make sense and then and then I kind of got on a roll and I, like I had a couple of days where I just made loads of these like bad comics and <laughs> Hey, my new my new book coming out is going to be called Mr. Birthday Cake, and it's coming out this <laughs> this spring. So watch out on Amazon Express, Instagram. Uh, the new book's coming out. This <laughs> is just, just advert for my new book. Um,
1: awesome. No, <laughs> it, it's it's funny I, though. Uh, I mean, you know, it it sounds in a way like you're applying some of the ideas of conceptual art uh, to comics. That you know something from a certain point of view, only becomes art once you put it in an art gallery. And for you, it almost sounds like something only becomes a comic when you present it to people between a couple of, you know, a cover and a back cover stapled together that people are expecting to read a comic and therefore having the juxtaposition of images on a page invites being read in that way. While if you put them on a gallery wall to an audience who weren't normally used to reading comics, they wouldn't necessarily find a narrative in them.
0: Yeah, yeah, I mean, even though I describe them as like drawings of comic pages, they definitely, there's like, they work as comics. Mm. Um, But um, yeah, it's funny, they're like, I think before I was gonna get on the call, I kind of was thinking about, oh, what questions is he gonna ask me? (laughs) And I was thinking, and I just started thinking about like, how much of an influence, people from like outside of comics have been on me on on, my approach to doing stuff and I had friends who would kind of like used found bits of text or um, appropriating stuff and kind of like collaging things and being quite like loose with the idea of like where your like source material can come from or whatever or like twisting things that already exist or taking things out of context and yeah not just not doing things properly <laughs> like all, all these shortcuts that like fine artists have like used <laughs> to like make things seem like they're interesting actually like does generate interesting stuff I think I, I know deep down that like I can't make comics very well so if I can use like other tricks to kind of like force myself into like finishing something um it's all kind of like open uh Mm. Yeah, it's like an open field or whatever.
1: Mm. I mean, it's it's interesting that you know you're very um, self-deprecating about making comics, and yet the interest from Ergos, uh, from Kramer's Ergo, the interest from Breakdown. Uh, the fact that people have been buying your comics for years would seem to suggest that your your audience likes your comics even if you're not very proud of them yourself
2: <laughs>
0: no I'm immensely proud of my proud of my comics like oh, okay. it's the only thing i it's the only thing I'm proud of
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> like when I finish like a comic, I feel like so I feel so good and so alive and like so like mm. worthy of like being like a person <laughs> like the i I think because I have to work really hard at them and like i mm. i I feel like they, um, like I can justify making comics. I can ex- I can explain what my comics are. I can kind of like I understand what I'm doing and I understand the ideas that are in them, and I can talk about them for ages. Mm. So I feel like okay, these are legit. Like this is my this is my art practice is making comics. But then like all the drawings I do and the other stuff, I I really have a hard time justifying like. Mm. What they are and kind of explaining what they are and like feeling like it's okay to make them but like the the, the comics are like i mean i think the comics form is like the height like for me like the most interesting and um fun thing to work in because i think you can see when someone's faking it do you know what i mean mm. like if your drawing is no good uh it's very like obvious and if your writing's no good it's very clear and if your ideas are no good it's very clear so I think like you have to combine to make like a comic that's like good you have to combine so many things you have to be good at so many so much stuff and when I do one that actually like seems to work like I get such like a massive ego boost (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god, I can draw, I can write, I can have ideas. Like, and they've all come together and it and it all works. Mm. Um in like a weird kind of bad way. Mm. But um yeah, I'm very, very proud of my comics. And <laughs> I guess what you said about people, I don't know, like it's it's very hard to tell if people are interested in them mm. because the ones that I publish myself, I don't make that many copies and I'm not very I like I, I put them in a few shops and stuff but it feels like I don't sell many of them um and then the things that appear in anthologies I'm so detached from like the effects like I don't know who reads them I don't know how many they make I don't know whereabouts they go I don't know if people like them I don't know if people you know when you're in an anthology yours might be the comic that people skip over so it's really hard. This, this, it's very, very, very difficult to know if mm-hmm. anyone actually cares about what you're doing. Um, and because I don't really socialize with anybody, <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: and I like, like, I'm not part of a scene. I'm not part of like a social group of, of people making comics. I'm not part of like. I'm I'm talking to a few people online about about this stuff, but I don't really sense. There's no way of like knowing how mm. many people are looking at this stuff and like if they like it or if they think it's like valid. So okay. it'll be it'll be it'll be cool to see if people like like the Tummy Bugs book and if it does well and if if like people write. I think if people write nice stuff about it and and that'll be that'll be good. Then I'll it'll feel really good as well. About that.
1: Oh well, I hope so. I mean, it's funny <laughs> speaking as um an art school graduate when you were saying uh, that sometimes you don't know what your drawings are for, I wonder if you're still walking, working through the trauma of crits and convenience uh, with your peers. <laughs> oh.
0: I, I, I didn't study art. I don't, I okay. never, I think part of it's probably that as well. Like, you know, I never studied it. So I never like had someone say like, "You're it's okay to do this.
1: <laughs> oh, maybe that's what you need. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, I've never like, I don't know. Yeah, because I understand like other people doing it, like, mm. and I love like what some people do. It's just like you know, you don't you don't give yourself, treat yourself the same way you treat other people do. you?
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's true. <laughs> I don't know um, if you're comfortable talking about transitioning, um, but if it's a topic you don't mind discussing, one thing that did spring to mind is that a lot of your comics do seem to be about transformation about dealing with moving from one kind of state of being to another and whether I'm reading too much into that being a motif in your comics and then something that you've kind of experienced in your own life I'm, I'm
0: definitely okay to talk about it but I'm, I'm curious which comics you've seen that do that because oh, I you. explicitly have dealt with that with some comics that I published like before I knew anything about my identity. <laughs>
2: okay, interesting. But th- um, like some, like, of, I mean...
0: some of the first comics I published like 10, 15 years ago hmm. were about like cross-dressing and like gender transformation. And I was so um, closeted and like ashamed and like in denial that I thought like, I don't know why I made those comics. like. I did them and I guess like I felt so hidden that no one would ever believe that they had any relationship to, like any, that they were connected at all to my actual identity. Mm. Do you know what I mean? I was so, (laughs) there was a, there was a comic called Life in Magic and basically a little kind of like magician uh, is waiting for its friend to leave so it can have like some privacy and in pri- in that privacy it uses a magic spell in itself to transform itself into a woman and it's like super happy and I have no idea what was kind of going through my head when I did that mm. but I felt like I obviously did it because I thought like oh no one's ever going to guess that this is like a true wish of mine like this is my actual desire like <laughs> I'm so good at hiding this like no one's ever going to find out that that's like my, my truth and um, the other comic was about a character who is like living in this like underground bunker and it lives with a doll and when the doll isn't looking it goes and like starts like dressing up as a girl and um, I think like my personal like <laughs> experience was like so kind of hidden Mm. that i felt like oh i can just put this in my comics and no one's ever gonna like it's almost like it's like proof of like um you know if this is what you're experiencing why would you ever show this to anybody Mm. i don't know it's so twisted i don't know why i did those (laughs) but i'm glad i'm like in hindsight like it's funny because it's like evidence of like Oh, yeah, there was some, this, this stuff has been like, I've been trying to deal with this for a really long time, like, <laughs>
2: mm.
0: however badly I've dealt with it, like,
1: yeah. Um, I but I,
2: I think,
0: I sorry.
1: No, I was going to say, I just, I just felt that in certain strips, rather than it being, you know, explicitly about gender, just more a yeah. sense of kind of transforming from one state or one kind of identity into another seems to be kind of like subtly weaved into some of the stories, you know. Which one? Oh, you see, you're putting me on the spot now. I should, I should have made notes.
0: <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I, mean, I mean, that's interesting because I definitely want to see if I have done, if I've mm. continued to, like, subconsciously, like,
2: mm.
0: uh, get through my, <laughs>
2: like, yeah. deal with
0: my, like, trauma uh, without realising that I'm doing it.
2: <laughs> um, well, even, like, you
1: know what the, the one you were talking about earlier with the uh, the little blue creatures um, it probably won't work because yeah. it's a screen on a screen you know who helped the um, the character turn from being kind of like a, a guy into more of a, an anthropomorphic blob I mean that's a bad example but um, you know it's just kind of changes of state changes of matter you know it seems to be yeah. I don't know, I, know. Think,
0: I, I think I <laughs> think if I am dealing with, like, if I'm putting, like, gender transition stuff into my work, mm. it would probably be more likely, like, people being horrible to each other about it. Yeah. Um, let me think, though. I, I swear I have done... <laughs> I, 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 it's it's ringing a bell now. Like, I did a comic for the mold map, the latest mold map, mm. and the, the punchline is that the character has a wish and the wish is that they had a clone of themselves mm. so there's a transformation there
1: Oh uh, I w- <sighs> but also I guess the the parallel theme of uh, you know overcoming um, personal difficulties and you know getting over barriers you know that's another kind of yeah thing that keeps on I being-
2: think
0: I think that's more to do with like um, I really find the like the language of like motivational posters and kind of like mm. um, that kind of like uh, I don't know where I I think when I the, so there's a comic in tummy books which is about like a character who's kind of like talking about how they're like overcoming things by doing things a little bit at, at a time. Yeah, and. I think when I did that, I was listening to Andrew WK a lot. There's this musician called Andrew WK who had like a big career when, um, I don't know, late 2000s when, what was it called? What was that music called? New Metal.
2: Okay.
0: It was like a big thing. And he made this like very kind of like hair metal kind of like silly music. But then he would give these like motivational speeches and he would like give lectures on like all this kind of like motivational positive thinking type stuff mm. um, and it was very performative and it was like very kind of like weirdly meta and and i think that there's like a, there's like a, there's like a, a thing of like i like that stuff but i'm also super suspicious of it and I think I wanted to kind of like process some of that stuff um, through comics. Mm. And I think there's also like something about it's, not, it's it's like a punchline at the end of it, but it's not a joke. <laughs> so so that also lends itself quite nicely to comics. Do you know what I mean? I, yeah. Um, there's like there's like a rhythm and there's like a flow to it that you can and you can kind of combine it with images and kind of create like symbolic things that seem symbolic you can make things things look quite yeah it it just fits really nicely with 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 comics so making people making statements like being lonely is easy or um all insects are always happy like these kind of like uh little
1: little phrases and stuff um well it's kind of like haiku
0: yeah yeah
1: You've only got six panels to tell a story so and a certain number yeah. of words. So it's almost like iambic pentameter or something, you know, some sort of form. Yeah. Of, you know, brief, pithy. Yeah.
0: <laughs> for sure, for sure. And then you can kind of like treat that with some like scepticism or irony or 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 purity or whatever. There's like yeah, there's 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 interesting things happening there. So mm. I think that's what that's more like. I don't think that's like talk about transformation I think is is more the same way that you'd get like um, I think you see it a lot on like social media now um these kind of like little snippets of like bite-sized bits of information or whatever mm. and like a little imagery like they they they, they combine really well together um and yeah also like I whenever I find bits of text that have that kind of those properties I tend to like i'll co- I'll keep those to one side and i'll I'll like copy bits of bits of phrases and stuff from existing like religious tracks are quite good and have like I think it's some office I used to work in um, there was like a photocopied stack of like like someone's book of like business advice or Mm. um i you know i for a long time i worked in just like temp temp jobs and did work in all kinds of offices and stuff and things that you get on like powerpoint presentations and those little bits of clip art and like Mm. the kind of bits of corporate language you'd get like really funny little phrases and i'd make notes of them and and keep them so that's that's like I think that's where that, that language comes from.
1: Mm. Well, as, as much as I enjoy Tummy Bugs, I'm really looking forward to your corporate-speak uh, satire comic because I think there's a lot that's to That's be- the next
0: one. Yeah, that's the next one. <laughs> it's going to be called Com- Comfort Break.
1: Fantastic. Tummy Bugs by Leomi Sadler is available now from Breakdown Press and you can buy the title from breakdownpress.com stroke store. Leomi Sadler can be found on Twitter at Leomi Sadler, that's L-E-O-M-I-S-A-D-L-E-R, and you can buy Leomi and brother Steph's work at famiconexpress.co.uk, that's F-A-M-I-C-O-N express.co.uk. In the second half of today's programme, I'm talking to the veteran cartoonist Stan Sakai, about his long-running comic Yosagio Jimbo, which chronicles the adventures of a samurai rabbit and has been running since the 1980s. Yosagio Jimbo has also crossed over with the very popular anthropomorphic comic Teenage Mutants Ninja Turtles, and in recent years Stan Sakai also adapted the classic tale of 47 Ronin to the comic book page. In this interview, which was recorded at the Lakes International Comic Art Festival before lockdown, I'm talking to Stan about all of these comics and much more. I looked up your biography online and it says that you were born in Kyoto in 1953 and you started working on Grew the Wander in 1982. I I assume that something happened in between.
3: Yes, my uh, father was uh, stationed in Japan as part of the US military just after World War II. Mm. Uh, He was uh, born, he's (laughs) Japanese-American. And he met my mother there. And they got married and I was born in Kyoto. My older brother was born in Kyushu, which is a southern island. But I was born in Kyoto on Honshu. Um, The family moved back to Hawaii when I was uh, two years old. So I don't remember Japan. And I grew up in Hawaii. Mm. Spent about 20, about 22, 23 years there. And now I live in Southern California. Mm.
1: But it's interesting, even though you moved to America at the age of two, there's obviously a strong interest in manga in your work and Mm -hmm. Japanese culture. So as you were growing up, presumably you were still keeping in touch with both the cultural and creative um, kind of output of your home country.
3: Right. Well, I've always been interested in art and comic books. And back then, we didn't call them manga. We just mm. called them Japanese comics. And, you, you know, they're yeah. weird because you read them from the other, other end. <laughs> but, uh, well, Hawaii has a huge Japanese-American uh, population, and we keep traditions alive, especially when you move away. You keep your uh, native traditions alive. So I grew up with the Obon, the, uh, uh, the Obon uh, festivals mm. and various uh, you know, Japanese traditions and cultures. So I saw... Japanese movies, the old Chambata, the sword fighting movies, as well as the, the more dramatic things, such as the um, High and Low by Kurosawa. And uh, so I grew up with all of that. And mm-hmm. my mom used to read the um, Japanese uh, comics to me when I was young. Uh, my favorites were the uh, Tezuka books, Osamu mm-hmm. Tezuka, especially Is I can remember her reading the Buddha series or um, the Texuanatham, the uh, Astro Boy, mm. and a few others. And it's a thrill because later I got to meet um, Dr. Tezuka, so that was mm. that was really, really special to me. Fantastic.
1: Um, so in the early 80s, uh, you were creating self-published comics, or at least small press comics, mm-hmm. and you were lettering uh, Grew the Wanderer. How did that come about?
3: Well, I was never a self-publisher. Oh, okay. I, I, I was part of the independent comics movement. I never published it myself because I just did not want to deal with printers or distributors oh, or anything. Sure. But um uh I wanted to do a series um called Nelson Ground Thumper. It was a mm. European based uh, funny animals series mm. and one of the characters um was going to be Usagi Miyamoto Usagi, which was mm. a, a Japanese samurai rabbit. And but then after I finished my first Usagi uh, short story, I fell in love with the character. So Nielsen got pushed to the side, and I'd been spending my the last uh, 33 or 34 years working on strictly on yeah. Usagi. <laughs> and I had known Sergio um, after moving to um, California from Hawaii. Uh, we got together because I found his name in the phone book. <laughs> back, back then, we actually had big books full of phone numbers and he was in it uh, his phone number and address and everything and i was just shocked that he was there because and so i wrote him a letter and he gave me a call says you know i told him i was a cartoonist from hawaii Mm. and it dropped a few names and he said oh yeah let's get together and he invited me to a caps meeting caps is the comic arts professional society of los angeles Mm. and we met there and we've been friends ever since we've travel the world together um, mm. all over, including two on Kendo.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, so at that point, he had had some
3: strips printed in Mad, and basically you were a fan? I was a fan of his growing up, um, mm. through Mad Magazine, some of his work in uh, DC Comics, such as Plop, uh, mm. his work in uh, Batlash. He was even a character in the you know, Batlash. And um, he was a favorite of mine. I loved his sense of humor, loved the way he drew, and you know. yeah. now when he asked me to do the lettering for Guru I said sure You know, I'm a terrific letterer even, <laughs> though, even though I had never lettered a comic book in my life <laughs> however that same month uh, Todd Klein who is a wonderful letterer um, had written a series or had written an article on how to hand letter the Todd Klein way <laughs> <laughs> and so I just pretty much followed that and uh, now I've been lettering grew for uh, I guess about 30 years now, yeah. more than 30 years mm.
1: yeah. um so at what age did you know or or hope
3: basically to have a career in comic books <laughs> 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 well I always loved drawing but uh I never you know back then we don't we didn't have the internet or we didn't mm. have conventions so I didn't think about the comic book process. Mm. Um, I figured they just magically appeared on the shelves every Wednesday. But it wasn't until Stan Lee started doing all the, uh, the credits, saying that, you know, written by, penciled by, inked by, then I realized, hey, there were actually people doing this and doing it for a living. And I want to become one of those. And this is um, when I was still in elementary school. And I set my course for that, took art classes, uh, graduated as a fine arts major in drawing and painting. Mm. But uh, back then, you had to live in New York to be a part of the American comic book uh, scene. Mm. And I was growing up in Hawaii, which is as far away <laughs> from New York as you could get and still be in the United States. But uh, you know, I moved up to California and met other artists. And pretty much kind of fell in the industry yeah. because I started off doing independence at a time when independent comic books were just on the rise. Mm. Uh, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles had just been published and Usagi actually, uh, the first Usagi story came out the, f- the same year that the first mm. Ninja Turtle uh, mm. issue came out. So the timing was great. Yeah.
1: I read somewhere that when you were at art school, you were doing sort of experimental painting. Were you trying to work any kind of references to comics into your practice, or did they frown on that, if you ever tried?
3: <laughs> no, I was able to do comic strips uh, and um, paintings based on things. People like uh, Jeff Jones's um, paintings cool. uh, tried to get some frisather work in both oil paints and um, Pastels, mm. and I love doing that. But uh, as far as comic strip goes, I mean, they they did not encourage it. Mm. But I just passed off as, hey, they they structures thought, wow, you know, this is this is kind of neat because it's different from what everyone else is doing. So. Mm. <laughs>
1: You've uh, cited um, at one point or another that Blacksad uh, was an influence mm-hmm. on you, and you've mentioned you know, European comics in general. There seemed to be something going on uh, in the zeitgeist in the early 80s mm-hmm. in independent comics in terms of uh, reviving the funny animal tradition. You, know, you were starting out, uh, you said the turtles were just about to be published, uh, mouse was possibly being serialised already in Raw mm-hmm. at that point. Why do you think you and these other indeed creators were taking an interest in anthropomorphic characters at that time?
3: Well, I think it was the Ninja Turtles that really okay. that really spearheaded that. Uh, no one was prepared for the phenomenon mm. it, it had become. And then everything all the black and white well, it's pretty much started the mm. black and white movements. And everyone tried to emulate them. They had mm titles like the uh, radioactive black belt hamsters they have Mm -hmm. kung fu kangaroos and (laughs) uh, walruses samurai penguins everything along those lines and it just so happened that Usagi I had already done an Usagi uh, story it had already been published and it was um, doing quite well Mm. so a lot of my success um, has to do with timing I think because Mm. Usagi was there just at the forefront of the um the black and white movement, black and white funny the animal movement. Mm. So it weathered the storm, all the others pretty much died mm. alongside yeah. of it.
1: But regardless of the success of those other titles, presumably, uh, personally, as a creator, you always wanted to draw anthropomorphic comics. You know, you, you have drawn humans. Indeed, mm. there was uh, an adaptation of 47 Ronin mm. that you worked on uh, a few years ago. But I guess drawing animals uh, in samurai suits appealed to you more right from the start <laughs> than drawing humans.
3: Well, it didn't really appeal to me. I wanted okay. to do a series um, inspired by the life of a real-life samurai named Miyamoto Musashi, mm. and it was supposed to be a human mm. uh, characters with you know a regular. I didn't even consider funny animals at all until I just sketched uh, a drawing of a rabbit with his ears tied up into a chonmage, a samurai top knot, in one of my sketchbooks, and I love the simple design. And it was also unique. No one had ever tied a rabbit's ears before. Yeah. So I loved that. And, you know, by then, Cerebus, the aardvark, was out. Yeah, of course. And Cerebus is an aardvark in an all-human world. Mm. And I was wondering, oh, whether I should do that, uh, you know, have Usagi a uh, rabbit in an all-human world. But it just seemed kind of strange and weird to me. Mm. So I made the entire world uh, anthropomorphic around Usagi. Mm. And... Um, I just felt I loved the um, the concept of it and off for the animal world, and I stuck with that. I also had the question of whether to do a dramatic historical series mm. or one that's just uh, pure fantasy with dragons and wizards, because Japan has uh, such a wealth of folklore. It, mm. you know, they have strange... Uh, Creatures like mm. mythological uh, mm. creatures, and I love that. But I also like the love the history of Japan, mm. and in the end, I did a combination of both. It's uh, both historical, drawing heavily from the culture and history of Japan, mm. and it also draws a lot from folklore and uh, the mysticism yeah. and the spirituality there.
1: Mm. Well, I think it's interesting that sometimes you can. Uh, watch or read something that's entirely fantastical, Mm -hmm. but actually it's still a semi-educational experience. Um, In terms of Japan uh, showing my age, um, I've got Lone Wolf and Cub on Laserdisc. Oh, uh, wow. And I know. Uh, and as well as having... I,
3: I, I still have VHS tapes.
1: Nice. Oh. Um, and as well as having subtitles translating the dialogue, it has surtitles whenever there's a word that can't be easily translated. It'll have a little kind of note saying this was a ceremonial sword used for blah, blah, blah. Uh, and I guess that was something that you included in your work, you know, throughout... Did you have the intent of kind of sharing educational background to Japanese culture, or was it inevitable in a way just because you were drawing on it?
3: Well, the research that that I do for Usagi uh, was mainly for myself, because I like to do, as I said, Usagi is based upon a real culture and history. But I never included the story notes at the beginning, because I figured people weren't that interested in it. However, when I did Grass Cutter, uh, I did so much research that I included story notes. I wanted to, I was just touching the surface of my story. Grasscutter mm. is the name of a legendary sword that was given to Japan by the gods. And it's, you know, there's records of it. It was found in the uh, tale of an eight-headed, eight-tailed dragon. And it uh, was lost during the Battle of Dan no Uda during the uh, Japan Civil Wars, Genpei Wars and there was an entire history of it so i wanted to um put additional information because as i said i just scratched the surface it's the story starts off with the creation of the japanese island and follows the sword grass cutter throughout history Mm. and i did so much research for that that i had to put it in (laughs) and i did not expect the reaction that that would generate people were writing to me and saying oh this is wonderful you should do this for all your stories and so I started doing that Um, Mm -hmm. not for all the stories of course but for ones in which I would touch upon certain aspects of Japan such as uh, seaweed farming Mm -hmm. uh, uh, soy sauce making or different festivals or the creation of uh, uh, Japanese swords. and for me it's very fulfilling because I think comics can be educational as Mm -hmm. well as um Uh, entertaining Mm. and I'm glad because uh, the story Grass Cutter received the American Library Association Award Mm. it reads a number of literary awards as well as uh, comic book awards Mm. in fact we're talking now in the Will Eisner exhibit and yeah. Will had written the, the introduction to uh, my book, Grasscutter, mm. and it also won the uh, Eisner Award, so that mm. was kind of the, because uh, presented me the award himself and I got to publicly thank Will for uh, for the inspiration that he was.
1: Fantastic. Because you've basically been working on the same comic over 30 (laughs) years, you've produced over 200 issues now, Um, there aren't that many comics by you that predate um, your saga, and indeed, Cloud Thumper has also been reprinted. Mm -hmm. So it does mean that people can go into a bookshop and basically buy everything you've ever drawn. And so, as such, there's kind of like no hiding of your sophomoric work. You know, mm-hmm. people can watch, exactly. read your exactly. earlier stuff and see your style develop over the years. I mean, does that appeal to you as uh, an artist or do you kind of secretly hope that maybe some of the earlier stuff had gone out of print? <laughs> uh,
3: well, the most embarrassing things have not been reprinted. So oh, okay. that is nice. Uh, that's, this is when I was uh, still an amateur, mm. uh, contributing to fanzines and uh, mm. amateur press publications. But as you said, the entire Rusagi Jimbo library is uh, available. So mm. that is, I love that because once it falls out of print, it gets goes back into print either in the same type of edition or in a different uh, different form. Such as right now, uh, Dark Horse and Fantagraphics, my both two two of my U.S. publishers, are uh, putting out these omnibus collections, mm. which which is about three or sometimes four uh, books in one big. Uh, omnibus books, so those are great.
1: And your style, I mean, you've obviously refined it over the years, but looking at the earliest issues and the later ones, it's still recognizably you. So presumably there came a point where, in terms of drawing comics, you thought this is the Stan Sakai style. You know, you kind of found your voice on the page. How long did that take? Well, it's still developing.
3: Okay. Uh, (laughs) Back when I was first starting out, I love Steve Ditko during his mm. uh, Doctor Strange and his Spider-Man days. And much of my work was very much Ditko-esque. Mm. When I started doing Usagi, it was more, I had already discovered uh, Mila Manara or Mobius mm. and a few of the European artists uh, because I was not familiar with uh, the European comics back then. But now, you know, oh, they're everywhere. And um, they inspired me a lot. Also, to the Japanese uh uh, mangaka. Mm. I, you know that that has also inspired me, and the ethics of it, or mm. the you know aesthetics of it, uh, storytelling-wise, Usagi is still very much Western. Mm. However, the uh, philosophy and the subject matter are very much Japanese. Mm.
1: Although I'd say I think there are in terms of maybe story-pacing mm-hmm. elements of manga in your work that you don't see in many other American comics? You know, a panel perhaps where uh, Usagi draws his blade, the next panel where he runs across, the next panel where he sort of strikes someone. Mm-hmm. That would be a single panel in, right, in yeah. an American comic. So You're still using a little bit of that, for want of uh, a better word, uh, kind of deconstructed <laughs> <laughs> storytelling where it's, uh, it's moments in time rather mm-hmm. than just story
3: beats. Actually, I think that, things like that come from my love of cinema okay I love movies Mm. especially older movies uh, Alfred Hitchcock or even uh, some of uh, James Cameron's I love the way James Cameron introduces characters such as uh, Terminator 2 we see uh, I can't think of the uh, Linda Hamilton's character oh yes, Sarah Connor Sarah Connor the first time we see Sarah Connor in uh, Terminator 2 we see just the back of her and she's doing chin-ups and then Mm. the camera Draws back, and then we realize she's doing chin-ups on the bed that's been turned over, and she's using the uh, the leg for as a pole. And then she turns around, and you see her face, and it's very strong now—not the Sarah that we knew from the first Terminator movie. And you know, it's very striking. I love the um, the introduction like that, um, or the first Frankenstein movie. Hmm. It's, we see the Frankenstein movie introduced. He just walks into the room, but he walks into the room backwards and then mm. tells so much about the character right then. And when I introduce characters, I think of movies like that. You know, mm. What's a great way to introduce a character that tells a lot about the character, but visually. Mm. And I think the first society story uh, of him just tramping through the snow mm. uh, with a, his, uh, his hat on, and you don't really see him mm. until he kind of lifts his face and lifts his hat up and says... My name is Miyamoto Usagi. Mm. And I, I'm still very pleased <laughs> at that introduction, if I say so myself. <laughs> and much of my pacing is uh, influenced by movies, very much so.
1: Mm. Obviously, culture in general and movies um, have also referred back to some of the same mm-hmm. Japanese cultural elements that you have. Uh, in particular, say, Star Wars, mm-hmm. uh, which was influenced by uh, The Hidden Castle and yeah. other elements of uh, samurai films. And then a few years ago, uh, or rather no, a number of years ago, you started doing a spin-off um, of your comic called Space Usagi. <laughs> so in a way, that felt like it was commenting on Star Wars, um, You know that you're both mm-hmm. looking at uh, a similar background. And then I thought it was really interesting that when the Star Wars prequel movies came out, mm-hmm. they did similar things that you did in yes, Space Usagi, yes. but you got there first.
3: I, yeah. <laughs> I'm glad you said that, yes, they are where the princess is really... The, uh, the yeah the double yes, yes exactly and uh, he falls off the cliff getting a uh, cutting half yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but space usagi came about for two reasons I love drawing usagi and I love drawing dinosaurs <laughs> and I wanted to do something where I could incorporate both of them and you know have usagi fighting dinosaurs and it could I could go two ways put usagi in a prehistoric world which didn't seem that interesting or I could. Make a descendant of Usagi, uh, Mm. a space Usagi, and put have him go to Dinosaur World, and that's what he did. (laughs) And that entire mini series came about because I just wanted to draw
1: dinosaurs. (laughs) But it meant that also you actually then give Usagi an entire series of generations of uh, ancestors. uh, You know, because there's uh, a short story where the two meet through Mm -hmm. uh, the mechanics of time travel. And then in the epilogue uh, to your War of the Worlds mm-hmm. uh, adaptation, without spoiling it, a certain character <laughs> turns up to suggest that maybe what you've been reading is by an unreliable narrator, so it isn't necessarily the final Yosugi story. Right. But, I mean, I guess if you're hit by a bus tomorrow, <laughs> let's hope this
3: doesn't happen, it actually could act, you know. So right. you, you ha- you're having it both ways. Right. And actually, I had done story notes about some of his descendants, and his descendants are traced by the ownership of his original swords. Mm. Uh, There's Terry Miyamoto, who is a a journalist uh, Mm. in Los Angeles. She's a contemporary character. And uh, I also like detective fiction and um, mysteries Mm. like Agatha Christie. And I wrote a story which was never uh, fully drawn out about... uh, like a Ten Little Indians type of Agatha Mm. Christie mystery where clues would be dropped throughout the entire story. And um, there was a murder mystery. I also did a short synopsis of, um, let's see, what's it called? Kagenu Usagi, The Shadow of the Rabbit. It's a (laughs) pope type of character based upon or inspired by uh, Gibson's uh, The Shadow, Mm. where Usagi wears a big slouchy hat. This takes place during the 1920s, during the age of the popes and yeah oh,
1: please <laughs> please do please do an anthology of usagi's through the decades
3: that would be amazing <laughs> and instead of uh using a guns like the shadow used, see yeah. he, he has the swords okay. and again it's the uh, the original swords that Usagi used. Ah.
1: So, what can your fans do to make you bring out these subsequent Usagi
3: comics set in the 20th century or the 19th century? Write in, send in. <laughs> I would love to do it. It's just that finding time. Yeah. And, you know, I love working on Usagi. And there's, for each story I write, there's spin offs for, or storyboards, or s- springboards for uh, two more stories further on down mm. the line. Mm. And um, there's so many other projects I love to do. Um, Sergio Aragonese and I talked about doing a, a crossover, not with Gru, but with another of his characters called uh, Cat Catnipon. And it's a somewhat like cat. And we actually hmm. wrote a six, uh, six-issue synopsis wow. of a story. But again, it's, we did this about 15 years ago. <laughs> I never got, got beyond that. <laughs> In
1: terms of the supporting cast, there's obviously all sorts of different animals that you have mm-hmm. playing different characters. What are your sort of motivations for want of a better word when you're thinking of a character and then you think of what kind of animal mm-hmm. would best be, you know, the incarnation of that character?
3: Well, there's Gen, the rhino, and he's claims he's Osagi's best friend, and he's a rhinoceros because I love the the visuals of a rabbit next to mm-hmm. a huge rhinoceros. Mm-hmm and uh, Gen is actually inspired by the actor Toshiro Mifune oh. and I actually got to meet uh, Mifune once I, I have his autographs Amazing. So it's kind of cool but um, <laughs> Gen was uh, inspired by his um, uh, Mifune's character um, Yojimbo uh, or Sanjiro. the way he manipulates people the way he's kind of always scratching himself the way he's kind of filthy and, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. kind of scruffy and I love that next to Sagi's pretty pretty, uh, pristine appearance. Mm. (laughs) So I love the the juxtaposition. Uh, There's uh, other characters. um, Oh, Zato Ino, the blind swords pig. Uh, It's inspired by Zato Ichi, the blind swordsman. And uh, Zato Ichi gets around with his amazing sense of hearing. Whereas my Zato Ino has an amazing sense of smell, like a... pigs do because uh pigs in europe are used to run out truffles under the ground Mm. so i use that uh in their first meeting usagi cuts off zato ino's nose (laughs) thereby blinding him you know completely but evader comes back with a wooden nose and it works just as good except everything's now uh pine scented (laughs) but uh (laughs) yeah most of my characters are based upon animals that look good like uh if i find a character make up a character that looks very distinctive i'll use him as, in one of my stories uh other times i'll use the um uh i'll create the character first and then do the visuals such mm. as uh, inspector ishida uh who is a brilliant in uh, police inspector uh like a columbo type of person and mm. at first it's going to be a very heroic type of uh, you know square jaw type of a uh, hero but then i thought oh of the Hawaiian detef- detective Changapana, mm. and he was the bassist for Charlie Chan, mm. and he was a Hawaiian detective, uh, and he was very short, but he was amazing. He had a great martial arts skill, and he used a bow whip. <laughs> so I based my uh, character of Inspector Sheeta upon his visuals, upon uh, Changapana's visuals. So you know, sometimes I will base characters upon. The uh, qualities they have. Other times I'll do the reverse and you know, instead of big character, I'll make it tiny.
1: Mm. Has your process changed much over the years? Because Yosagi strikes me as a comic that's as much about the materials, you know, the the kind of beautiful watercolors you use on covers or in your um, yokai uh, one off. And, you know, the, the kind of, <laughs> it does feel that it's. Um, a comic that is much about you know the, the pen on mm-hmm. the page you know the traditional marks so that the kind of tools you use have they changed much over the
3: years they have changed in that uh well i still use very traditional tools uh pen and paper but they are getting scarcer the pen that i'd like to use was discontinued about oh, 20 years ago wow. so i drove all over los angeles uh Buying, going to all the art supply stores and buying all those pens and ah. pen nibs. Um, I'm right now. I'm looking for a new ink because the ink that I was using was uh, discontinued. Actually, they changed the formula. So right now I'm using the ink that I get. Uh, I buy on eBay uh, from Japan hmm. because you know it flows nicely through a pen and it has a nice flat black surface. Uh, but materials are changing. You mentioned my watercolors. I used to paint on five-ply Bristol board, Mm. uh, but they stopped making that. And so I now at the point where I'm using either four-ply, which has a little bit of warp, or using uh, illustration board. Mm. But uh, because of the times, my art material has changed. But overall I still use pen and paper. I love the feel of uh, the process, and for me, working on the tablet or the uh, computer is a bit—it there's a distance for me, mm. and I just love the feel of the, you know, the 500 series two ply cold press more paper. So <laughs> that's...
1: Okay. Well, I I hope you have enough supplies <laughs> to keep you going another twenty years.
3: <laughs> Actually, there's one Usagi reader. That would send me. That used to send me one pen every year, <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know where she used to get them from, but uh, <laughs> they were a lifesaver. For, so right now I have maybe another twenty years' supply of pens. Fantastic, Stan Sakai. Thank you very much. Okay, thank you.
1: You can find more info about all of Stan Sakai's comics by going to his website, stansakai.com. That's S-T-A-N. S-A-K-A-I, and more info about Yosogio Jimbo by going to yosogiojimbo.com. That's U-S-A-G-I-J-O-J-I-M-B-O dot com. As mentioned earlier, my interview with Stan Sakai was recorded at the Lakes International Comic Art Festival a couple of years ago, and the festival returns to Kendall in the Lake District this autumn from the 15th to the 17th of October. The first guests for this year's festival have just been announced, including comic book writers Greg Rucker and Chris Condon, writer-artist Jeff Lemire, and artists Michael Lark, Rachel Smith, Martin Rosen, Nicola Jennings and Blue Lou. More guests will be advertised on the website comicartfestival.com over the weeks and months to come, so keep an eye on their web presence to find out more about this fantastic autumn festival. Another convention to look forward to this autumn is Thought Bubble, which returns to Harrogate on the 13th and 14th of November, with guests including Zainab Akhtar, Raphael Albuquerque, David Ayer, Cecil Castellucci, Becky Clunan, Chuck Palaniuk, Gail Simone, Scott Snyder, and many more. You can find more info about Thought Bubble by going to thoughtbubblefestival.com. Between now and then, there are various other comic book events, mostly happening online until the end of lockdown, with, for example, this month's Ladies Do Comics, LD Comics, taking place on Monday the 19th of April, with guests Samia Arif, Eleanor Davis, Cedar Lewison, and Bruno Martini talking about their work. You can find more info about this by going to Twitter and following them at L.D. Comics, and that's on Monday the 19th of April from 7pm. Book tickets at www.ldcomics.com. At some point over the next month, there'll also be another meeting of Cartoon County online, where I'll be talking to artist and writer Nicholas Streeton and cartoonist and publisher Cath Tate, looking back at the publication of The Inking Woman, A groundbreaking comic anthology and exhibition at the Cartoon Museum, which celebrated 250 years of female cartoonists, and was originally published three years ago. With this retrospective of the book, allowing Streeton and Tate to discuss what has changed over the last three years for female cartoonists and their hopes for the future. And you can find more info about Cartoon County by going to cartooncounty.com or following them on Twitter at Cartoon County. Panel Borders was recorded, edited, and introduced by Alex Fitch and is a Panel Borders production. You can find all previous episodes on our website, including interviews with Steve McManus, Ottilie Hainsworth, Brian and Mary Talbot, Toshio Maeda, Mariko Tamaki, Chris Reynolds, Nick Suzanis, Daryl Cunningham, and many more. And if you're particularly interested in anthropomorphic comics, there are links to various other interviews I've recorded with creators of Funny Animal Comics, including Brett Uren talking about his noir-themed anthology series Torso Bear. Boo Cook, in Churchill and Richard Starkins discuss Elephant Men. Australian artist Nikki Greenberg discusses her full-length adaptation of The Great Gatsby, featuring animals and plants as the various characters, and Kevin Eastman discussing Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. This summer, we'll see the broadcast of the 500th episode of Panel Borders, so needless to say, there are quite a few podcasts you can catch up on at www.panelborders.wordpress.com. We'll be back on the first Wednesday in May, And until then, as ever, thanks for listening.
0: This program has been brought to you by Resonance 104.4 FM. If you liked what you heard and want to support our work, please make a donation at fundraiser.resonance.fm.